Hi y'all, this episode is unique in that it is a two-parter and it uplifts the voice of an educator who is Black. In honor of Black History Month, I will be sharing with you two new episodes with Dr. Aletha Harbin, as well as a repeat episode with Kwame Sinfro Mensa, whose episode aired in December. But again, I wanted to ensure that the Teacher Renewed podcast holds these voices up in celebration and honor of the extraordinary contributions both educators are making in education. In part one of this first episode, you will learn about how Dr. Arletha Harvin leveraged her upbringing as the daughter of educators and a Black woman in a middle-class community. She shares her journey and the aspects of life she learned along the way to want to do better for education. While I don't want to steal Dr. Harvin's thunder, I will say her expertise in education is far-reaching from early childhood to 12th grade, and she has dived deeply into the social justice, risk and resilience, academic achievement, and motivation as it relates to education, leaning into the concepts to bring light to what's possible in education. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Teacher Renewed Podcast. Today with us, we have Dr. Aletha Harvin, who is a PhD out in California, really doing great work through psychology and child development and working with educators to uplift us and ground us simultaneously in this very hard work that we're doing. She is really doing deep exploration on inclusivity and cultural sensitivities as as us as teachers and also being able to sustain in this work. So basically, Dr. Harvin checks off everything that this podcast stands for. And we came in touch via Instagram because we follow the same people, one being Kwame Sarfo Mensa, who we had on the podcast a few weeks ago, who just is doing extraordinary work as it relates to identity. And Dr. Harvin Alita is going to help us dig into that today and do some more of that exploration through her own expertise. I guess I'm going to go back and forth with Dr. Harvin and Alita because I cannot underscore what it means to have those letters behind your name, I'm sure. And so, Alita, if you could just introduce yourself and share with us your journey that is taking you from point A to where you are today. And thank you so much for being a guest. I am just humbled and I cannot express to you how excited I am to have your insight on this podcast. Thank you so much, Kelly, for having me here. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for that lovely introduction. I am a university professor, so I teach in the Department of Psychology and Child Development at California State University, Stanislaus, and I really focus on educational psychology and developmental psychology and on the cognitive, social, emotional, physical (laughs) development of students along with their mental health, wellness, and academic motivation. So I, I, I just love deep diving into our children and our adolescents and really figuring out what it is that they need to thrive and to really function at their best in and outside of the school environment. I'm here to empower educators, to empower them to understand inclusivity more, how to help create a sense of belonging 
inside of the classroom for the students. When it comes to school leaders, I wanna help them to make sure their staff, faculty, feel included, feel that sense of belonging. So they want to stay and they're also in a healthy environment, just like we want students to be in a healthy environment within the classroom context. And also help teachers with that work-life balance. I know that's hard to strike, but I do like to focus on that. My journey in education specifically started in Sacramento where I was born and raised. And so I come from a long line of teachers. My mom's the best teacher, I feel she was an English language arts seventh grade teacher. And I always loved being in her classroom. She would always have me in her classroom, working with her students, helping her out. So I just always loved trying to model myself after my mom, to be completely honest with you. And, you know, the story you often hear from a number of teachers or educators is, you know, you line, you line your teddy bears up and teach them when you were a kid. I totally did that. <laughs> I was like, that's what my mom does. That's what I want to do. And I teach my, all my stuffed animals every single day. It's great. My dad, he's also an educator as well as a, a counselor, mental health professional. I remember when I was in high school, about halfway through my senior year, I was pretty much finished with my classes. And so I told my parents, that I wanted to graduate a semester early. And they said, well, while you're putting in, while you're applying for four-year universities, because I was applying for, I remember Cal State Sacramento, which is a four-year institution. They said, well, while you're applying to these different universities, we, if you're going to graduate early, we want you to get started on your college education. So they helped me to enroll in my local junior college. And it was American River College, two-year college. Excellent school. Excellent school. So I started going there. I did go back for my graduation, but I started going there and I felt really great because I was like, oh, you know, I graduated semester early and I'm focused now. I'm focused on college, what I want to do. And my major was liberal studies because I wanted to go into the classroom too and be a teacher, just like my mom. I want to teach middle school students. <laughs> I remember during the summer that that first summer, I had this writing teacher and I love to write. I'm a scholar too. I'm an author. So I love to write. And I remember when I got in this one particular class, this professor just kept marking up my paper <laughs> in red. And I was like, why is he marking my paper in red? I am a good writer. I'm excellent. What is happening? And so he kept writing on my paper. You can do better. You can do better. Like that's all he kept saying. He just kept telling me I could do better. So I, of course, started having my mom look over my papers. And I also started working with the Dean of English at the school. And so I started working with him. I was working with my mom. I was doing everything I could before I turned my papers in. And so my grade did go up in that class. But at the same time, the professor kept saying, but you can do better. And I was like, what does he mean? I could do better. I'm working so hard. I have all these people looking over my papers. But the reason I'm telling this story is because, you know, that summer, I made a decision to stay at the junior college. I was like, you know what? I'm receiving such an excellent education here. I'm being pushed, even though that felt uncomfortable. I was like, I'm being pushed. And I started actually enrolling myself in more English classes at American River College. I started just doing, I, I just started getting involved in these different 
groups on campus to help not only improve my writing, because I said, okay, I, I really want to challenge myself, but I just started thinking really thoughtfully about the classes that I wanted to take. So I really just dove into what I was doing there at American River College. I had my parents' support. So I finished my two-year education there at American River College, and both my parents were still highly instrumental in my education, and they helped me to make the transition to California State University, Sacramento, which is an excellent four-year institution. I loved my time there. And so I went from liberal studies to child development with with a particular focus on pre-credential preparation. And I was super excited about it. And also that during that time that I was in my bachelor's program, I started coming in contact with that I was reading by female scholars. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. This is really cool. I've always been empowered as like when I was a young woman, I was always empowered by my parents, both my parents, my mom and dad. And so to start seeing these female scholars and what they were doing was just very interesting to me. And so I became more curious about research. Then during my senior year, this opportunity came up to participate in a summer research program at UCLA. And so I had a professor who had just graduated from UCLA with her PhD and she and, and she asked me to be a TA in one of her classes, and I was. And she was also a Scott researcher, the writer as well. And so she said, hey, UCLA is having this program. You should apply. And I did, and I got in. And I was super excited, but that summer was super intense. That summer was all about understanding what it took to get a PhD. They literally walked us through the steps on what we needed to do if we wanted to pursue our PhD there at UCLA. And we were in, there were so many workshops, so many classes, and I conducted research. I had a chance to conduct an original research study with the help of a psychology professor while I was there. And I had to run the analyses. I had to present in front of an entire audience. After that experience, I remember telling my parents, I said, I want to become a researcher. I want to you know, and I want to teach, but I want to teach at the university level. And both my parents were like, yes, sounds great. We're here. We're supporting you. I remember when I returned from UCLA that summer, I had got accepted into a teacher credential program and also a master's program at Cal State Sacramento. Cause I was like, well, let me flush out my research ideas before I apply to UCLA. I was like, let me just figure out what exactly I, I want to do. But I knew I was applying to UCLA. And I had to make a decision about which program I wanted to be in because at the time they didn't have a joint program like they have now. And so I went for my master's and I remember being happy about it. But at the same time, I was sad because I was like, I really wanted to get my teaching credential at the same time, you know, but I was like, okay, I'll get that at a later time. Let me just go ahead and get my master's degree first. So after graduating with my bachelor's in child development with my pre-credential training, I then went on for my master's degree in education. And I was able to then dive into some of these socially conscious issues that I was also interested in because I was like, okay, I'm, I'm inspired by educators I'm inspired by teachers. I know I want to be a researcher. I know I want to be a teacher too, but 
like how do I bring all this together? And then there were some questions I had, because as a scholar, you always have questions. There are some questions I had, some socially conscious questions that I had that I was like, I kind of want to explore. So in my master's program, I felt I was able to merge all of this together. The research that I that I just that was just that I found super interesting. And after having just come from UCLA and being in an intense research program, I was super excited about conducting some really great research at Sac State. And then my love for teachers and what's happening in the classroom, the relationship between teachers and students, I was super interested in that. And then the social questions I had. And so the questions I had came from my upbringing. So for instance, my mom taught in an urban school. It was still in, it, it was in a good area. I mean, a fairly good area, but she taught in an urban school, but I did not grow up in an urban area. I grew up in a white suburb. So when I was really, really young, we were in a more diverse suburb. And then we moved to a white suburb when I was maybe five, six, and that was for opportunities. It was, so there were all these opportunities in the white suburb that we moved into. And at a later point in my life, my mom, I remember we were sitting down one day at the dinner table and she was talking to me about the racism that her and my dad protected us from being in a white suburb because they wanted us to be happy. They wanted us to be focused. They wanted us to pursue our dreams. So my parents, they, they moved us to this location and it's, it's a great location so that we could have opportunities, but they combated the racism to protect that. That we could be in this bubble as black children and grow up happy, joyous, <laughs> and still pursue our dreams and our goals. And that's why I say I thank my parents so much for where I'm at today, who I am today, because it was really helpful. But as I'm going to school in these predominantly white schools and I'm seeing what's happening and I would have questions about what was going on at my mom's school. And so my mom would always sit down with me and talk to me about things. And that's her and my dad helped me to become very like socially conscious. They helped me to understand my own identity. They engaged in what a lot of black parents engage in and parents of color engage in, which is racial socialization. You're socializing your children. What come up, because my parents want me to have a happy life. But as questions kind of came up for me, they would say, okay, let's sit down and let's talk about it. For instance, my mom's school, I would notice my mom would be buying all these supplies for her students. Like every year at the beginning of the year, I would go with my mom to the teacher supply store and my mom would be buying all of these supplies. Not only was I getting supplies, my siblings and I, my mom was buying a bunch of supplies for her kids. I didn't understand it fully then. I think back on it now. I'm like, wow, my mom was buying supplies for the students in her classroom. And, and, and why is that? Right. And I know so many teachers do that even now. And when you're teaching, it, depending on what school you're teaching and some schools have more resources than others. I remember at one point I was help. I was bringing food to the school for my mom, for her students. And my mom had to explain that to me. You know, she was like, I don't want my students to be hungry in the morning and they are hungry. And then at her school, a lot of the students were signed up for free and reduced price lunch, but there were all these issues that might have prevented students from being on time to get the lunch. So then my mom had the food in the classroom. So my mom had food, supplies, you name it, it was in her classroom. And I would, and I had questions. I was like, why is that? Because, you know, I would have my breakfast 
you know, hang out. My friends would come over in the morning. We'd all ride our bikes. This like was a completely different sort of situation for us or even the resources that were in my school. It just, everything seemed a little bit easier. And so as a scholar, I wanted to explore this. And I, so I already knew what was going on for the most part because of what my mom was telling me, but then I wanted to explore it a little bit more and, and, and really think through what do those teacher student relationships look like, you know, in more in our quote unquote urban schools versus our schools that have more advantages. I remember when I talked to my mom about the school she taught and I love the school my mom taught in, to be honest with you, she taught there forever. She said, I could have taught in our neighborhood at a private school or just one of the public schools there. And she said, but the work is where I you know, chose to teach at. She was like, there was more work to be done there because there were more black students, there were more Latino students, there, there's more students of color. There were more students who, even, even the white students who were there, you know, the students were, they were challenged in their own ways. So there were so many more challenges the students were dealing with at my mom's school. So as a scholar during my master's program, I was able to start exploring that in more detail, flesh it out a little bit more. And I remember I was focused on multicultural education and how teachers, like multicultural education, how they were relating to their students, their students of color. So I was interested definitely in the teacher-student relationship and teacher pedagogy. So my master's thesis was on the relevant pedagogy and how that influenced the students in the classroom. And I came to want to study that honestly because of my mom, because my mom's, she, she naturally engaged in culturally relevant pedagogy, you know, and, and is culture was culturally sensitive in the classroom with her students and so I wanted to explore that dynamic more and how culturally relevant pedagogy can be very motivating for our students of color and that was really really important to me because I saw that demonstrated with what my mom was doing so then I did apply to UCLA oh and a number of different universities for my PhD, because I was committed to getting a PhD and becoming a university professor and researcher. But once I got my acceptance letter from UCLA, I was like, this is it, it's time. I went full force into pursuing my work as a socially conscious educator. And so the cool thing I liked about UCLA and their graduate school of education, I loved all the other graduate schools that invited me to come out there or come to their schools, but UCLA's Graduate School of Education has a strong social justice focus. Like it is strong. They are on fire over there. <laughs> and I was like, I want that. I want that heat. And I was challenged in my classes by diverse scholars. So I wasn't just being taught by white professors because up until that point, I had white professors, white teachers for the most part. My parents were my black, you know, teachers, but I didn't really encounter more professors of color. But in my PhD program, there were. It's so diverse in the Graduate School of Education. So I was being taught by amazing professors across the board. And they were pushing my thinking about, you know, in terms of my understanding of social justice, racial justice, like literally the, all the classes I was taking, most of the classes I were taking 
had that focus, had that lens. And so it was really embedded into everything that I did. So I loved it. And I threw myself into it. I took as many classes as I could. And when I graduated with my PhD, I graduated in 2014 with my PhD. And I immediately landed my current position at California State University, Stanislaus. I'm interdisciplinary with my work. I'm educational psychology and developmental psychology. I focus a lot in the classes I teach on the school context and what's happening to students within the school context. I focus on the teacher-student relation and how that impacts students' mental health, their academic motivation. Motivation is a psychological construct. So I love to explore that with my students who are interested in going into the classroom. And then also thinking about students' mental health is super important. But lately I've been thinking about teachers' mental health. I was like, we don't really touch on that a lot, on the mental health of our educators. And that's super, super important. And as an educator, I think that's coming up a lot for me because I feel we are constantly asked to go, 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 support our students, support our students, go, go. It's like, okay, that's great. I love my students. I'm here for my students. I'm down for my students, but I've got to take care of my mental health too. I have to check in with myself. I have to monitor my own wellness, you know, and so that I can show up for my students and show up for myself, right? So So this is where wellness comes in for me. And I work with a lot of educators to help explore their mental health, to make sure they're checking in on themselves and focused on their own wellness. Because if we aren't able to even show up for ourselves, if we don't want to get out of the bed in the morning, if we don't want to get in that car to drive to work, I have a friend who's an educator. She prays in her car before she walks into the school, the schoolhouse. And I'm like, I, you know, I know we, it's so important for our academic leaders, our school leaders to, to really make space for us and hold space for us and give us that opportunity to focus on our mental health and to, to feel supported so that we can show up in the best possible way for our students. And so when it comes to the child development side of my department and the work that I do, I love focusing on everything that students do. Like, their cognitive development, which has to do with the classroom, right? But even outside of the classroom, right? Just decision-making. So their cognitive, right? Their cognitive development, the way in which they learn, I really like to focus on that in, in relation to cognitive development. I love focusing on students' social development, how they socially relate to their teachers, how they're socially relating to their caregivers, to their peers. I like to focus on their emotional development. Over time, we want our students to become more emotionally sound, but depending on students' histories, their backgrounds, that may differ, right? But I think as educators, right, we're, we're there, we're trying to help students to become emotionally mature. So that is huge. And I, I know social and emotional development is huge right now. So many people are talking about it. And then also physical development, you know, that's something I like to focus on, especially when it comes to young children. So there's a lot that I'm doing, but everything that I do does have a social justice spin on it. Operating in a department that focuses on psychology, that focuses on child development. There are a lot of scholars, white scholars, white male scholars that, you know, get focused on. And so I like to bring light to my scholars of color and to the experiences, the diverse experiences of students of color and other students from marginalized communities. So in my classes, I 
you know, I may have sessions where we talk about pronouns. I may have sessions where we talk about, you know, racism, racial discrimination. I have sessions where we talk about what does inclusivity really look like? Like, let's really break that down, right? Because there's so much more to inclusivity than what we're thinking. So I do my best to try to work with them to help them develop a more socially conscious lens for the work that they want to do whether they are gonna work with adults, they're gonna work with children, adolescents. So, so when we think about development, when we think about motivation, when we think about mental health, we have to think about the diversity of the people who we're working with, the diversity of the children and adolescents that we're working with. So one last thing I'll say is when I think about my journey, even with my parents and how supportive my parents have always been in my journey, I know that there are, and, I, and I'm African-American, I'm black, and I know that there might be some young Black people who they may have parents who are highly instrumental too, and then they may have parents who aren't. And so part of my dissertation work was exploring that, actually. I was looking at parental support as a moderator, as a factor that could act like a social environmental factor that can actually help students to stay resilient. Because I remember when I was in school, I would experience racial discrimination. And it's interesting, it's like, I didn't experience a lot, but I truly remember the, the times that I did experience. I will never forget those moments in my life that I experienced racial discrimination. And those moments stick with you. It's like, I literally haven't forgotten those moments. and but my parents were there for me. So if a teacher discriminated against me and I told my parents about it, they were like, oh no, <laughs> that's not gonna happen to you. Well, this happened to you, but we're gonna help, we're gonna take care of this. And they would. So my parents were my biggest advocates for me in the white schools that I was navigating, like in the white schools that I was in, my parents helped me to navigate these white spaces as, as a black, Person, you know, and to be like the only black person in the classes I was in, typically, my parents were there the entire time, literally every step of the way. And they told me they purposely wanted to do that. They, they knew they had to do that. If, you know, for me, because they knew the level of success that I could have, and they said they wanted to kind of remove as many barriers as possible, so I could have that clear pathway. And so I wanted to look at that and explore that more and see if other young Black people had that, you know, like growing up. And so I explored that in my doctoral program. And what I found, I mean, the findings were interesting. I found that because I looked at both Black and Latino students. And for my, for my students who were Latino, Latina, Latinx, right, my I found that parental support, parental advocacy was important, but then that could look different, right? That could be just creating that space for students to engage in their homework or just having a supportive message for young people, right? So there was, there's some diversity in what that actually looks like, but parental involvement, even if it's just hey, did you do your homework? Like that can be really important and helpful for students. So parental support is something I wanna explore more with my black students, but in terms of significant finding, peer support was really important for the black adolescents who participated in my study. And 
So when they were experiencing peer discrimination within the school context, having supportive peers was really important to combat the negative psychological consequences associated with that. I'm thinking about my own parents and the support they provided to me. For the students that I work with now, I, I mean, I'm not their caregiver, I'm not their parent, but I do position myself in a way to give them the same level of support and comfort encouragement that my parents gave to me, you know, you can do it, you know, let me help you out. <laughs> what do you need from me? Because I want young people to have that same level of support, even if they don't have it at home. It's very helpful when you do have involved caregivers. And mm -hmm. our students, as we know, they don't have involved caregivers. And it is important as educators, right, for us to step into those roles, but at the same time, it can be exhausting. And that is important for, you know, us to recognize. I think a lot of us do recognize that, all right? It can, it, we have to recognize that, but it's like, what, but we need our school leaders, our academic leaders to recognize the different roles that we, we take on to help support our students too. next week's episode, Dr. Harvin will address how to recognize the different roles that we as educators take on to help support our students, how to find balance in those roles, and how best to motivate our students without giving all of ourselves up to the job. Here are some takeaways from this week's episode. Number one, because if we aren't able to even show up for ourselves, if we don't want to get out of the bed in the morning, if we don't want to get in the car to drive to work, we are not going to be able to show up for our students. We have to take care of ourselves first. Number two, as educators, we're trying to help students to become emotionally mature. That is no small feat. And sometimes we might be the primary caregiver or adult who is doing this for a student. Number three, there's so much more to inclusivity that we're not thinking about. And we have to explore it more deeply as it is critical to the changing landscape of education. Number four, parental support, parental advocacy is important, but there is no one size fits all and we have to honor that it can look different from parent to parent. And number five, having supportive peers is critical to combating the negative psychological consequences associated with peer discrimination. another episode in the books. Thank you so much for joining me today and every week on the podcast. So what are you taking away from today's episode? Let me know by heading to Instagram and either commenting on this episode's IG picture or DM me and tell me you listened to the episode and share a little nugget you received. I am at teacher underscore renewed. And as always, if you liked this episode and know someone who is on a journey to becoming a better teacher and educator, share this with them. And it might just be the one thing they needed to hear today. Or share this episode in your stories and tag me at teacher underscore renewed. All right, my friends, I will be back next week with another episode for more of what's possible in education. <laughs>